Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 187 was recorded live January 30th, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed, where we have just dug out of the Arctic snowbanks. I am Darren Jilson. Joining me this week, we have our co-host, Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I'm thawing out since we've gotten the high 20s today. Now, how, how much snow did you have over your place? I've got four and a half feet by my front of the driveway, <laughs> and if you get out into the flat spot in the back, I've got about two and a half solid. Wow. It's it's been a while. It's it's not exactly unheard of us for us to have this level of snow, but it's been a little bit more than we've had in the last few years. That's for sure. Well, we've got at least fourteen inches of ice on many of the lakes, so we're going to get some good ice dives in oh, February. Yeah. Now, now, how how deep does it need to be before you can drive a truck out there? Uh, well, well, I would not drive a truck out there anyway. <laughs> but uh, fourteen inches is going to be really good for a car. Good for a car. Yeah, I wouldn't drive mine out, but I'd drive somebody else's out. <laughs> yeah, and if, and if it didn't work out, we'd have something to dive on during the spring. Well, this week we have a special guest, Chanel Hayson. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I basically fell in love with the ocean when I was five, my first trip to SeaWorld. And ever since then, um, I've pursued conservation work, volunteer work, I really wanted to be a marine mammal trainer uh, for the majority of my life. And then I trained sea lions in Moss Landing in California and realized, ah, I don't know if I want to do this the rest of my life. Uh, So then I went to the research route while I was in college. I graduated from California State University, Monterey Bay, with my degree of science in uh, environmental science, technology, and policy with an emphasis in marine and coastal ecology. It's a mouthful every time. Um, And then I realized maybe that's not the path for me either. So now I'm kind of in the ecotourism, marine um, education route. So I love working with people and being hands-on. And anytime I can educate somebody about protecting the ocean and the animals, that puts a smile on my face. Now, when did you start, when did you actually learn how to scuba dive? I learned how to scuba dive um, this summer when I was, I graduated high school and going into college, so in 2006. And uh, what type of certifications do you have? Uh, I got, in 2006, I got my open water, and then in 2008, uh, while I was attending Cal State Monterey Bay, I got my advanced and rescue certification. So I'm hoping to get my dive master this year, actually. Excellent. Now, uh, what brought you to our attention is uh, is part of Twitter. Uh, I -hmm. follow, communicate with a lot of accounts, and I noticed that you are Miss Scuba USA. That is correct. Now, how how did that come to happen? Uh, It's a funny story. Uh, Earlier, or last year, um, I in like June, July, I was involved in. I don't know if you heard of it. It was called Australia's Best Job in the World contest. Yeah. 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 So um, out of 600,000 people, I got chosen in the top 25 to um, compete to be a wildlife caretaker in South Australia. So I had to do a full-fledged two-week kind of new social media campaign in order to get exposure and to, you know, create a Facebook page and get as many likes as possible and get on the news and radio shows. And I basically, like, put every piece of my soul and heart into those two weeks and uh, found out I got in the top 10, but I didn't get in the top three. And so uh, throughout all that exposure, uh, Miss Scuba USA 2012 found me via Facebook. And she commented on something I posted about the ocean. And she's like, hey, 
you know, I was in this great, you know, pageant and you should look it up. And I was in Miss Scuba 2012 and I was like a marine science, like based beauty pageant. Like, is there like such a thing? Is this a <laughs> joke? <laughs> like, uh, so I looked it up and it's, I only started in 2011. So it's kind of new and it's more uh, well known in the Asian uh, part of the world where uh, it takes place. And um, so I was like, you know, this is kind of cool. They're like really super focused on conservation and um, spreading the word of scuba diving across the world. So I was like, okay, so I'll apply to see, you know, if I get chosen to represent the USA. And so convene, like it's total like small world moment when um, I met with Miss Scuba USA 2012 to kind of interview with her. And I, I had, with my previous job experience um, as director of operations for the California Philharmonic, I had met her dad, who we hired as one of our vendors. Oh. <laughs> so it was like, oh, my gosh. So I, like, know your dad. I have his business coffee mug in my, like, house right now. It was just kind of random, you know. Uh-huh. So it was kind of, like, meant to be sort of thing that we cross paths. And so uh, they had a couple people who applied, and um, they chose me to represent the USA, which was pretty fantastic. And um, yeah, so that happened. <laughs> so now that so once you were chose Miss USA, what did that have? What was the next step? That was part of a larger pageant. Um, I had to gain some sponsorships, and um, so it's a little. The USA is a little tricky because uh, there is a woman who trademarked Miss Scuba, and uh-huh. um, anything that was published about me, uh, I had like something published in California Diver Magazine and on Grind TV. Uh, she would send them letters of, you know, I will sue you if you post this, and um, all these kind of evil things. And she never actually con- like contacted me about it. But we like changed my title to Scuba Miss USA. But um, she was basically trying to like throw me down. Uh, so that was a little bump in the road. But um, I uh, she made me lose um, sponsorships. Like I had Oceanic sponsor all my dive gear, and they backed out because we couldn't trademark Miss Scuba USA, and they wanted to sponsor an actual pageant in um, the United States for it. So that was kind of really (laughs) upsetting uh, because they sponsored the girl last year, too. So, uh, I mean, I have some of my own dive gear as well, but um, I didn't let that hold me back. And I got a lot of great other sponsorships in terms of fitness people and local community dive shops, um, a lot of them in Monterey. And... um, just started a fundraising campaign too because it was very expensive. I had to pay for my flights um, and, you know, gowns and shoes. And I'm like a very beachy, simple person. <laughs> so to buy like a gown that was, you know, almost the same price as my rent for living, I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is totally outrageous, but uh, it'll definitely be an experience. So, so you so you uh, had to buy your your clothing for the event. Uh, I'm assuming yeah. you had to buy a ticket to get over there. Yeah, I had to do a round trip uh, flight before I actually submitted my um, contract to them uh, to the Miss Scuba International pageant itself. Uh, so I raised um, around three thousand dollars to help pay for that. My flights alone were two grand, so uh, it was very helpful. I have so many amazing supportive people in my life and even strangers who just, you know, jumped on the bandwagon because they liked the cause. I'm so thankful to have them. Excellent. Yeah. So where was the international pageant held? So it was held this or last year in Malaysia. Um, it was held in two locations, uh, The guy, Robert Lowe, who created Miss Scuba International, owns uh, multiple dive resorts. So we started off the first week in in Sabah uh, on an island uh, where his resort is. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Why is it blanking my mind right now? (laughs) 
uh, his resort's called Smart. Um, oh my gosh, why am I having like a brain fart? Uh, it's we went diving on Sipidon Island, Mabul. There we go. So uh, yeah, it was fantastic. It was beautiful. The water was just crystal clear. I would step out from the water bungalow and just see schools of barracuda and Mayan fish. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, why can't this be my everyday life? (laughs) (laughs) That's because it's too much fun. I know. You can't have that much fun. Come on. Now, how many contestants were in the pageant that? Uh, There were 15 different countries. So that was exciting. I got to meet people from all over the world. Now, like you said, this was a fairly new pageant and, I think I heard about it first time just a few years ago, and I never it it was it was kind of hard to find a, a lot of information on. Like you said, it seemed to be more Asian focused. Yeah. Uh, it, as as far as an event, what what really is its mission? Uh, I mean, ov- obviously the person behind it who's backing the money is uh, has got an agenda where they're they're trying to make some money for the resort, which is fine for them mm-hmm. to do that, but. Uh, what was the the publicity around it? Is it uh, like you had said? Is it conservation? Is it a beauty pageant with scuba divers? Or, um, yeah, the main focus is uh, you know to spread bring conservation awareness across the world through beautiful people, um, and also to raise awareness about diving and safe diving practices and ecotourism. Um, so that's kind of the gist of the whole thing. So it really attracted me because I've been in the marine conservation world basically my whole life and giving back and volunteering and beach cleanups and underwater cleanups and all that fun stuff. I mean, anybody you could talk to who knows me for over like one minute will tell you like she is in love with the ocean. (laughs) um, And my friend said the other day, like, you know, you step into my house and it's like you're living in the beach even know I live in the middle of like Los Angeles like 40 minutes away uh but anyway so yeah that's why I entered it I'm not like a pageant person at all like I said I'd rather wear flip-flops than high heels which was like the hardest thing for me to do was catwalk training there (laughs) but um I was just really I got 10 dives under my belt while I was there so that was fantastic now what are they What's the criteria for the international for, I, I'm assuming they crowned a Miss International scuba. Yes. So I, um, I play second runner-up, uh, and they had sub-categories uh, as well, and I won Miss Marine Conservation and Miss Best Diver, which those two I was really excited about. And um, first runner-up was Miss Philippines, and the winner um, was Miss UK. Jamie Lee, and um, they based, uh, the judging was 60% was your, um, like, catwalk and your poise and um, how you presented yourself on stage, and 20% was diving and, like, marine conservation knowledge, and the other 20%, let's see, I don't remember how did it all go down. I think that was your personality kind of thing, like how you interacted with people. Mm -hmm something along those lines. Um, so if I were in charge of the pageant, I would have it definitely more, you know, voted based on, you know, marine conservation and that kind of information and knowledge. Certainly. So, to, so to, since you said you weren't a pageant person, that, that kind of yeah. puts you at disadvantage because I know from watching some of the reality shows, there, there are kids who are starting at two years old doing that their whole life. Yeah, I mean, I I was the only one there with um, a marine science degree. I'm the only one there with the highest level of a diving credential. Um, so that surprised me when I got there. It's like mostly pageant girls, actresses, and models. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> what am I doing here? Now, uh, now could, they, could they actually dive? Did they have to prove they could dive? Uh, yeah, so you had to be certified in order to be accepted. Um, but I mean, nine times out of 10, all the girls got certified, you know, either some got certifi- certified at the resort or got certified in you know, two weeks beforehand. So it was kind of interesting to see how that worked out oh my um, on our dives and such. 
But um, it did was you, really did you great. Did you have to escort the other contestants around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to be teamed up sometimes with people who weren't, um, you know, as experienced as I was. And uh, which was fine. Like it made me really excited to see people who haven't, you know, never been diving before or been to Malaysia, you know, see coral reefs or like an eel for the first time or sharks. Uh, so it just makes me really giddy inside when I see them get really excited about the ocean. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, even though we're in a beauty pageant right now, I'm super stoked for you to like understand why the ocean is so important and conservation, all that fun stuff. No, well, excellent opportunity to introduce new divers. Definitely. So how long were you out there? Was it, uh, like, did they give you a week? Was it all just pageant stuff, or did you actually, you um, said you got 10 dives in? So we were there, I was there for about two and a half weeks. I got there a little early based on flight schedules and all that stuff. Uh, so luckily we got to the bungalow resorts earlier, and that meant we basically did like three dives a day. Uh, and we went to Sipadon Island, which is, you know, one of, it's a really highly rated uh, diving location in the world in the, the Coral Triangle area. And so, um, I mean, I dove with a school of like a thousand jackfish for the first time. And that just blew my mind to just like swim in the middle of them. And they're kind of just like, you're in a fish tornado of sorts. It was fascinating. Um, and then I really wanted to see a frogfish because they were native there and I saw one and, um, I went, we did one night dive and, uh, I'm a big cephalopod person. I love squid and cuttlefish and octopus and, uh, the current was really strong. And so we stopped by this one like fan coral and there was four tiny squid just like all in a straight line just like staring at us <laughs> with like two tentacles up kind of like antennas. And then um, Miss Australia swam up to them and they inked her in the face. That was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it was, it was beautiful. I loved it. So what's the, the one takeaway you have from doing the pageant? Um, I think it's, I mean, so there was one moment that kind of stood out for me the most. And that was when we were diving, um, we were doing like video and photo shoots underwater and I heard like an explosion and I freaked me out. I thought somebody's tank exploded, something happened. So I like frantically looked around at everybody and everybody was calm and I was like, what was that? So when we surfaced, I asked our dive master, you know, what was that like a bomb? What, what was that? And he said it was fish bombing in the Philippines. Uh, and I didn't even know that still happened. <laughs> so I thought that was like an old ancient thing that they used to do in the old days, but they still do it with cyanide. And um, uh, I that blew me away. So, I mean, there's still so much that happens, you know, behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know about. And uh, I read a blog um, for four years now. It's called uh, photosciencechanel.com, and I um, write, you know, different science and environmental stories and showcase. I do nature photography, too, and so that's kind of my um, output of, you know, my marine science side because I don't work in the field currently, and so that's kind of my next big post is going to be about fish bombing and you know, informing people about that and the dangers of it and how horrible it is and, uh, you know, see what people can do to, you know, petition to stop that action from happening. Now, why don't you educate me a little bit on fish bombing? Are they doing that to harvest fish for food or is that part of the aquarium trade? Uh, It's uh, for fishing purposes, yeah. So they basically bomb a part of a reef and then scavenge the fish that are dead from the explosion and, you know, pieces of coral that are, you know, dried and bleached and sold on market streets for, you know, like two bucks or something. Um, So, I mean, just hearing it, we were in Malaysia and it was close to the Philippines, but if it was loud where I was, you know, you can just imagine all the like animals underwater who heard that and it's probably 10 times as worse for them. 
Yes. So it just, it just was really scary <laughs> and surreal. Mac, do you have any questions? I've kind of kind of hogged this up. No, but if uh, no one's been to her site, I'd recommend it. And uh, some of her photography is there. The one on Los Angeles is actually gorgeous. Uh, the other oh, item, uh, all the items that you learned, though, I'm, I'm really curious how your forearms are because I noticed that uh, you had mentioned uh, lessons learned or items lessons learned. I've learned that doing handstands passes time real well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, last year I started doing uh, kind of. Do you know what CrossFit is? It's like a no. it's really big workout uh, kind of. It's like a group fitness based like hardcore workout class. Um, and I started doing that a little bit last year. And you do a lot of like handstands. I went to a lot of the gymnastics based ones. Um, I just found out I really love doing handstands. So I would just like I took a cool picture of um, myself in Malaysia doing a handstand like on an island in my wetsuit and I love it. It's beautiful with just like the turquoise waters. <laughs> but yeah, I'm kind of like a fitness and health guru on the side as well. I saw that because the other item had we had more time is I'd be curious um, why was being a vegetarian one of the best decisions you've ever made? Um well, a lot of people ask me, since I'm such like a marine person, if I eat fish, and I haven't eaten fish for the majority of my life, um, and that's for personal, and, uh, and when I grew up, I never liked eating fish in the first place, so it wasn't hard for me to give it up once I learned about fishing methods and, you know, the oceans being overfished and all that good stuff. Um but, yeah, I stopped eating meat about over a year ago a little bit uh, after watching, like, a couple documentaries. And I just tried to after, like, I thought, okay, like, for a week, like, my friend Josh and I were like, okay, let's see if we can, you know, go without meat. And we did it. And then I just kind of stuck with it. I felt really good. I had more energy than I did when I was eating meat. And then I learned just more, you know, health reasons and um just, you know, obviously like animals, cruelty, and there's so many different things with the animal field, you know, but I won't get into that. Uh, but yeah, I just, you know, you, you have something and you stick with it if it feels good and I love it. Now, where do you go from here? What's your uh, career path or your goals? So I'm actually um, in the process of uh, interviewing with the Ritz-Carlton in Puerto Rico. Have you heard of their um, Ambassadors of the Environment program before? No, I haven't. So it's uh, Jean-Michel Cousteau um, created this program, and Ritz-Carlton adopted it at uh, different locations in tropical places. And it's basically like a nature-run program for locals of the community and people who attend the resorts. Uh, and so this has been kind of like a year-long process of trying to work with them. And uh, I got, like, runner-up basically for the Cayman Islands, like, over a year ago. And so um, they forwarded my resume to Puerto Rico, and now a spot opened. He called me right before I left for Malaysia and was like, hey, can you come work for us, like, on the 16th of December? And I was in Malaysia then, and I was like, oh, no. Of course, I would be in a beauty pageant <laughs> when you want me to work for you. Uh, but anyway, so when I came back, um, I did like the full interview process and application. And so I'm just waiting to interview with Dr. Richard Murphy, who's the top scientist um, of the program that Cousteau put on the ambassador's program. And so I might be moving to Puerto Rico in two weeks, it looks like. Awesome. Well, good yeah. luck on that. Thanks. Yeah, I get to get paid to snorkel and scuba dive and kayak and teach people about the ocean, which has been basically like my dream job since I was little. I'm very excited about that. Well, if you need an old guy there to help out with the uh, older crowd that would <laughs> huddle around you, yeah, you just, I'll just give remember you a call. my phone number. I think Darren and I could uh, be more than happy to come down there. I'd even pay my own way. Uh, but that would, it sounds like that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Come on down, and I'll take you guys around Puerto Rico. Oh, How was that L.A. Travel and Adventure Expo? 
that was great. Uh, meeting Jean-Michel Cousteau was like, you know, meeting my Jesus in real life, you know. Um, he's like a god. And so that was pretty, and he was like the cutest old man ever. Like, I was like, can you be my grandpa? You are hilarious and awesome. Um, but he was super informative and very encouraging. And at that time, I told him I was applying for his program um, in the Cayman Islands. And so uh, he had lots of good things to say about that. But it was great. There was like countries I'd never even heard of before <laughs> who were there showcasing and lots of friendly people so I want to go again it's uh next weekend at, or in two weekends on uh in the Long Beach Convention Center here in California well lots of luck to you I think you're going to do a fabulous job out there and uh when you become rich and famous we'll have to send and get your autograph and then we'll have something put up on our, our walls over here yeah we hey yeah I can send you one already with a scuba thing on it if you want <laughs> I think that would be very nice. We can put it in our dive club stuff also. Certainly. Yeah, definitely. Well, great. Well, 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 thank you for agreeing to come on. Chanel Hayson. Yeah. Did, did I get it right that time? You got it. Oh, great. Um, it's a, an excellent experience. And what we're going to do is head on into the rest of the podcast. You're welcome to stay on, and we'd appreciate your, your comments and feedback as we go through this. Of course. Um, and let's see, do we have any questions in the chat room before we get started? Uh, chat room kind of uh, filled up as we got got going. We have uh, Mark and Cape Cod Chris. A few popped in. I don't see any questions. So just ask them throughout the show, and as they come on, we'll, we'll pass them on. Great. Let's see. Let's roll on into the news. First one up, and I didn't even preload these, so we'll see how my Internet holds out tonight. Now, this one is... Uh, I first heard this one from uh, Laura up in Oregon. We have uh, sea stars that are taking brunt of a wasting syndrome. Uh, marine biologists are not exactly sure why. This is uh, where they have a group of invertebrates. Invertebr goodness. We got we got a marine biologist on, and then I'm going to slaughter it. Invertebrates. <laughs> uh, and the, the syndrome has been in, uh, identified from Mexico right up the Pacific coast to Alaska. Confirmed occurrences closest to Powell River are off the east coast of Vancouver Island at Port Hardy, Port McNeil, Namino, and uh, South Howe Sound. About 10 species of starfish are being affected. This is according to uh, biologists in the area. The syndrome appears with white lesions on the surface of the sea stars. Within a couple of days, the lesions have spread over the entire animal. The next systems is inability for the sea stars to attach and hold on to rocks. The sea star has a vascular system which helps pump seawater through its body and forces the water into the fingers in the feet. This allows it to hold on. It can release the flow in order to, to detach and move. The wasting syndrome removes this ability from them. Uh, they no longer have the use of their tube feet. They get flattened. They have no turgidity, and they fall off and literally start falling apart within a few days. This is according to leader men's. They said the arms break off and you get this pile of decomposing, rotting starfish. The syndrome has not been seen in sea cucumbers, sea urchins, or other species. To try and determine the cause of syndrome, a similar syndrome was happened in the 70s and the 80s, but the current outbreak is far larger geographically. Uh, under consideration are warmer ocean temperatures related to El Nino effects, uh, changes in salinity and, or ocean acidification. What people are clear on is, the, is definitely something stressing the starfish. They said they're hoping that kayakers and beach walkers, fellow divers, will help monitor and report on the spread of the disease. And anyone who knows the syndrome, uh, this is a Vancouver article, they're saying to contact the Vancouver Aquarium. Now, are you seeing that down by you? Me? Yeah, Chanel? I'm getting um, a repeat feedback of everything you're saying. You, you got an echo there. Yeah, I have an echo. It's throwing me off, um, but uh, we haven't really seen it in Southern California. There's, I've seen it in Northern California when we went diving, and uh, I actually talked about it with uh, the senior aquarist at SeaWorld in December, and he said some of the starfish species that they've um, caught, uh, sorry, the feedback is throwing me off hearing myself yeah. talk. <laughs> uh, what, what you can do there is that's the chat room. Oh, okay. You're getting feedback through Skype oh. and also through the chat room. So uh, on, the, on the bottom of the chat room, I'm not sure which client you're using, there should be a, uh, a streaming audio 
if you're using the pro client. Uh, I'm not okay. sure what the website looks like. There we go. I fixed it. Woo-hoo. Okay. You are a genius. <laughs> oh, my gosh. A little bit better uh, not hearing that, yourself. Don't, don't tell him he's a genius. That'll get big. It, yeah, my head just again. swells up, and so I can't. He couldn't get down. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, so I talked to him about that, and he said uh, a lot of people say it's like global warming and climate change, uh, but they think it's more of a viral thing that's mm-hmm. happening, like a virus, uh, so it doesn't really have to do with climate change, I guess, is what a lot of the scientists are concluding. So that's all I know about that. Yeah, because it sounds like they're the even the scientists are a little mystified by it, but uh, we've got a, a friend of the show who's out in Oregon, and she, she noticed it right away and started asking questions, and then uh, a lot of others have, have seen the same as well. Yeah, there was a, a video I watched the other day about a sun star just going through the whole process and the legs breaking off and it was kind of very freaky looking. Um, so it's definitely a, a concern, I think, but I'm not, I don't think anybody's really pinpointed the real reason of why it's happening. So hopefully you figure that out soon. Now down in Florida, they're starting to, uh, have a discussion going on and it seems to happen every year this time. Uh, manatee loving tourists they're saying are overwhelming the refuge. Uh, Crystal River, Florida, which has a population about 3,100. Uh, we actually got friends down there. It's a place we go quite often. Um, mm-hmm. And what happens this time of year is that the the manatees are, are heading inland, especially with the cold weather that they've, they've been having, and they get to the, the source water. It's a little warmer. And this draws tourists in. The tourism down there is about a $30 million local economy just in the Crystal River area. Um uh, let's see what else I've got going on here. Uh, they said manatee numbers are growing. The recent stock estimated about 4,834 manatees, up from 3,802 animals in 2009. But the agency is cautioning that animal faces significant threats from watercraft collisions, which you can see them when you look at the manatees. You can see scars on their backs and yeah. other human-related impacts. Uh, manatee numbers and pressures for access to Crystal River Re- Refuge, which has been... Uh, Hemorrhaging staff and wrestling with budget problems find itself in a tough spot. And what they've they've had to do is they've they've lost about half their staff through attrition and budget concerns. Uh, one of the primary employers in the area, the nuclear plant, is going to be shutting down uh, as it gets as they retire the plant, and that's going to eliminate about 300 jobs. So uh, local governments are uh, prudently uh, avoiding re- renewing staff positions because they don't know how what kind of budgets they're going to be able to have. Uh, and so the, this this article, which we're going to have in our show notes, so anybody wants to follow along, they can click on the show show notes, which is going to be at scubaobsessed.com. And you can read the whole article. But they got, they, they've they got a pretty balanced article showing both sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they're they pretty strict. Uh, I mean, Mac, we had Bob who went down there. Uh, I can't remember if it was this year or last year. Uh, and he said it was quite, you know, he, he had done it before, but they, they've gotten more strict where you, you have to go through a training program before you even get in the water. Uh, you're not allowed to approach the manatee. There's a safe area when you're in the water, they come over to you. So they're what they're, well, I think what they're trying to propose is that maybe they, they create some uh, larger areas where there, there won't be any pressure. Because some of the concern is that snorkelers in the water, if when the manatees want to try and avoid them, might be pushed out into the colder water, which could uh, stress them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'd be uh, very concerned on the water temperature if they continue to have the El Nino, or I should tell you a polar vortex, how that's yeah. pushing down the cold air down there all the way down to the uh, Miami area. The second item I thought was interesting, when you look at the number of mantis they have now, it looks like numbers have increased. Yes. But I thought it was quite significant that in 2013 they had 829 of them dead, died. Uh, Of course, a lot of those were from uh, boat collisions. Did you see that aspect to it? Yeah, yeah. And then they talked about the uh, red tide algae. That's another item that killed a good bit off, including dolphins and other items. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a a lot. I mean, because we were down there. Oh, it's probably about three years now. We weren't specifically. Uh, looking for manatee, but you could see them. There's uh, a preserve there in Crystal River where they're doing rehabilitation, and in there you could see uh, some of them had had lost fins or part of their bodies from the boats. Uh, they're just, I mean, they're they're 
like giant cows floating in the water, and they just have no way of getting out of a, a boat's way when it's traveling in those rivers. Now, now you mentioned the, the cold weather. How, did you see what was going on with Atlanta? Yeah, I've got cousins both in Georgia and in Carolina. Uh, you get an inch of ice anywhere. When I used to live in Alabama. We used to have ice storms, and you'd get two to three inches of ice. I don't care how good a driver you are from up here in the north. You don't drive on ice, even with four-wheel drive. If no. you don't have chains, you don't go anywhere. You know, because whenever I hear about the South talking about they've they've got some snow and they can't they can't drive and everything shut down, you're just thinking that you know they just don't know what they're doing. But I saw photos. That's not a little dusting, and you've got frost on the edge of the curbs. They had ice, and that is no good. <laughs> you just yeah, you know, it's, and it's yeah you know, up here that we're set up for it. We got the equipment. You've got the salt. Uh, and then the temperatures, it's not going to behave the same down there as it does up here. So, yeah, hopefully everybody does okay and stays safe. That's a, that's a nasty mess. And then Atlanta traffic is crazy anyway. So uh, now, now, I'm not sure I want to be around an earthquake, but I'm thinking if I was <laughs> going to be an earthquake, this doesn't seem to be quite a bad place for it to happen. Um, we have, I survived an earthquake while scuba diving. Uh, this diver had been diving for 15 years. Uh, she loved the calmness of being submerged, the hypnotic sound of my breath, and the quiet clicks of fish-eating coral. Uh, last October, she was on a diving holiday in the Philippines with a friend. Uh, she was on her 40th dive, so she knew the drill. She put the gear in the boat and was sinking about 20 meters. She saw corals, uh, turtles, other tropical fish about 45 minutes in the dive. She said her breathing was drowned out by a low rumble of an engine. She had uh, deep, powerful vibrations if a big boat propeller was passing overhead. She looked up, couldn't see anything. The dive, inst- the dive instructor's eyes were wide with confusion. He didn't know what was going on either, even though he'd done thousands of dives. Uh, she says they swam next to each other, staying close to each other in a reef. She couldn't see her friend or the other divers. The situation felt sinister and dangerous. They were enveloped with clouds of white sand that mushroomed up around them. They thought they were an underwater bomb. A giant turtle uh, raced past them into the deep. They're normally slow movers, so this was very weird behavior. The vibration came so intense she could feel it in her bones. The sound uh, turned into a deafening roar. Could see waterfalls of sand pouring over the coral on the seafloor. A few meters below them, cracks began forming. The sand was sucked down. And uh, they realized that they were in an earthquake. Yeah, 7.2, it says. Yes. That is. If I, were, if I were out there and I saw cracks in the ocean bottom starting, <laughs> I would probably freak out. As like, I think I'd want to go up. So if the water started going down into the hole, I'd be at the top of the water. Yeah. That would be really freaky. That would be. They said I the, couldn't. That sounds like a bad dream. The energy released from that 7.2 was equivalent to 30 Hiroshima bombs. And they happen to be right there at the epicenter. Whoa. Uh, wild. That the earthquake uh, led to 200 fatalities and a thousand injured. Wow, wild. Those are the kind of experiences that are good if you survive them and can talk about them. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shoot, I wonder if they created any tsunamis with that too. Yeah, that is a risk. Yeah, that's a something. I don't remember hearing of any tsunamis, so. Mm-mm. Now, Mac, here's a river I don't think you've been diving in. Dark and stormy, and I've been neglecting the chat room here. I go, let me go and paste these in. I'm, I miss Jim. Jim, Jim's. Uh, we don't know where he is. He's probably playing hooky. Maybe you know, those retired guys. How they get? Uh, and and he would be our East Coast expert. Uh-huh. So, but from the article, it appears that this is considered to be one of the most polluted rivers in the United States, the Gowanus Canal. And what this diver did is he dove to the bottom of the canal, provide live footage of the murky world beneath the water. Most people don't have that perspective, he said. Most people drive by the canal and think, what is this? Well, we can show you. The dive is part of a weekend's uh, Ted Gowanus event, a series of lectures and presentations on a range of topics, from supporting uh, Gowanus artists to improving the neighborhood's ecosystem. The diver gave a view of an up-close tour of the polluted canal and hopefully some motivation to increase cleanup efforts. Uh, this particular diver is experienced in these type of situations. He's been exploring the city's water canal since 2001. And like wow, I wonder what kind of stuff is down there. Well, it's sort of funny you bring that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, reading a book on uh, underwater forensics, uh, and I happened to be in New York where this happens to be, and they were talking about some of the um, recovery work that they do in the waterways there. 
and some of those are extremely, and I, you can't even emphasize how extreme the pollution is. Yeah, this because some and of these some of these canals. It, were, you're talking about, you know. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it, it's hard to imagine, but whenever they're talking about using a hazmat with full face helmet, yeah, or not full face, but a, a real helmet with the helmet cams, it's like black water. You can't see anyway. But anything you can think of that we find in the river, anything that can cut you, hurt you, snag you, you're going to find down there. Plus the biologics and the chemicals. It's just amazing that anything can survive. And they were talking about the crew that dives that, that no matter how well they protect themselves with the hazmat suits and the full helmets, that if you don't get sick at least once every six months, you must have some heck of an immune system. Because mm-hmm. these guys are always getting some kind of respiratory illness, even though they are taking the protection they're taking. Wow. I believe Sounds it. Like a real interesting place. I, I, the, one of the Discovery Channels or the other programs had a show on and it was probably this canal or one of them near there. And just what has happened with the, uh, you know, some of them were, were rivers that they had diverted and, you know, it basically robbed water going into the canal. Some were trenches that were dug off the river to provide uh, birthing. Some of them were uh, where the, some manufacturing plants just used them to uh, run byproducts out into the river. So a lot of that manufacturing has stopped and now the the local areas are trying to clean it up, and it's a, it can be quite a challenge to figure out how to approach that because you've got to do something with what's in there. Well, the old adage used to be dilution is the solution to pollution. Well, you're running out of soil there to uh, dilute stuff in. Yeah, yeah, that you get you got some of those areas that are pretty bad, and then this one ice coverage affects the lake levels in many ways, and. You know, some, sometimes I like to guess what I think the article is going to say and then be, see if I'm surprised. And I was a little surprised. It makes sense once they explain it. So uh, what's what's going on is there's uh, $300 million that's been included in the 2014 federal spending bill for the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. And uh, along with that, they had some good news about the water levels. The Arctic blast has gripped much of the nation, will likely contribute to a healthy rise in water levels in 2014, according to the study. And uh, but, you know, what I what I would think when with the winter is that if you have ice over, you cut down on evaporation. But, Mac, I don't know if you've read the article yet or not, but what do you think is the time with the most evaporation on the Great Lakes? I would hazard a guess that because of the way we're talking here, it's going to be, hey, if you got ice on it, you must have evaporation. It's it's that the the. Peak evaporation is actually December. So, uh, and, th- and this is based on uh, studies of Lake Superior. So, it actually applies to all the Great Lakes. But uh, what happens is, is as the lake starts to cool down, uh, the evaporation rate will actually increase, which is not what you'd think. You'd think it would be in the summer, and that's when you have the least amount of evaporation. Is actually in June and July. They said Lake Superior, for example, loses almost three feet of water every year. Uh, through the St. Mary's River, and roughly two feet of water is almost lost every year just through evaporation. That's a total of five feet of water loss annually to the surface of Lake Superior due solely to natural processes. They said relatively little water is gained or lost through direct human intervention. Less than one inch per year flows in Lake Superior through the Long Lock Diversion. That's a lot of water lost a tribute to Mother Nature. He's pointing out that this doesn't mean Mother Nature's not changing to human causes. And we know very well that a lot of the leakage or leakage from the lakes mm-hmm. that we have now is due to the uh, dredging of the, the uh, St. Clair River yep. from Huron all the way down to Erie. Yep. The, uh, the, uh, when they did the dredging, they, they cut down into the bedrock, which actually opened up the passage a little more than they anticipated. They're trying to make it better for boat traffic and uh, unintentionally increase the water flow out of the Great Lakes. Right. So uh, there I, was an interesting article in our paper today uh, concerning Lake Michigan. Did you happen to notice that one? No. Uh, remember the uh, ongoing 14-year dispute based on the North and South Piers about uh, diverting the sand and renourishment of the beach south of the piers? No, I, I hadn't heard of that, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> Anyway, part of what they were talking about today, they were comparing back in, this, in the 70s with current. 
and I was going to have to do some math on this to check it out, but they were saying the, the angle of the slope has has gone from 40, I think it's, i gotta, I got to go back, I don't have the article with me, but it was something of the neighborhood of 80 foot per foot slope. I, I don't know the angle for that. And it's increased to 0 to 45, which meant the lake level is going down and the bottom is coming up in Lake Michigan. And they didn't realize that was actually happening. So what you're saying, I guess I'm trying to figure out which way the slope is going. Say well, the, the, the bottom's coming up. In Lake Michigan. Yes, the bottom of Lake Michigan is actually coming up. So it looks like the water level is increasing, but it is not, and we're actually losing water because the water level has gone down. Well, well, that makes sense because of the studies they were doing and the change of the angle. So you have both Lake Michigan, the southern half, and Lake Huron, where the uh, plates are actually rising. You know, we're yep. still we're coming out of the end of the Ice Age, and uh, that, that, that big glacier that we had on the Great Lakes for all those thousands of years pushed the crust down and created the depressions, which we have is filled with water. And as that ice has been gone, it's slowly coming up. And when I think of that, where you were doing that that dive project and you saw that clay, that makes me think that's that dynamic that caused that clay to snap is that movement of the bedrock and ground that's uh, popping up. Absolutely. And I really want to get back out there this year and see if I can get some photographs of that that fat area. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got the... That would be quite interesting. Those... Clay banks that were discovered that you discovered this last year. Uh, I got to get on those and see what those look like. Yeah. So that does it for the news section. We got a few more articles. We got some photos, a lot of them. We'll go, we'll we'll go blast through these. We'll paste them in the chat room, and then you can again get those on our website, uh, scubaobsessed.com. Uh, one was uh, quite a detailed photo of the of an underwater hotel room, and they talk about the photographer. Uh, doing it, and then he he has about 31 photos of them putting it together. And what I don't quite get, and I probably didn't do enough research on this, is is this hotel room, is this something they did just to take a photo of and promote, or is this actually legitimate? They say it's uh, $900 for a single night or $1,500 a night as a couple. Yeah, they say it's the Manta Resort underwater hotel room. So I think Mm -hmm. it's just one of the rooms that they specially made there. Yeah. Because when you look at the photos that he's doing, that it was basically fresh drywall and wires hanging out of the wall. They had to, to decorate and put light fixtures and everything in. So I don't know if that was just if that's normal, but uh, I, I would go and stay in there. Where was yeah. that? In, is that the one in Belize? Tanzania, Tanz, Tanzania, in Africa. Yep. Okay. Yeah, the out of the twenty-one photos, I love the fourteenth one. Where there's, you see the underwater um, room, and there's people in the room, and then there's a snorkeler who's chasing after some like angel or damselfish. It's really beautifully photographed as like a photographer background. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. So you, and you <laughs> okay. could. St- I, I was going to say, I just went ahead and, and hit that one. I've got the resort. I'm looking at it. It's quite interesting. Not what what I expected. Yeah. Uh, now the the problem I would have is I, I couldn't stay just one night. It'd have to be a couple. Because oh, yeah. you'd have to decide, are you going to stay in the bed that's underwater, or are you going to go in the one that's up on the deck? I know. You have to have a night of one of each to have yep. the stars and the Milky Way, and then underneath all the bioluminescence. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a tough job, wouldn't it? Yeah. Then here's one, uh, not quite the living creatures that we're accustomed to, but uh, something to see under underwater. And, th- and this tends to be what we see up here in the in the Midwest a lot when we do quarry diving, is uh, you see objects that have been placed down there. So this one is a, sh- a, a set of uh, a few objects up in the Ukraine. They've kind of made an underwater museum. So a few of the things that you can see. Yeah, there's an Eiffel Tower down there. It looks like the London Bridge. That's pretty cool. I've never seen anything like that diving before. I'd love to go check that out one day. Well, ne- next time you're in the Midwest, you'll have to look us up because we'll, we'll get you on, on some stuff like this. And a lot of times in the quarries, we have planes and cars and buses that have been sunk. Uh, they, oh, my gosh. That would be so amazing. Yeah, because what they've done is they've taken these quarries where they maybe had 20, 30 years where they, they, they took ground 
and they cut a hole mining limestone or other materials. One of the lakes that we talk about is called Lake 16, and that's an old mica mine. And then uh, when they stop mining them and pumping the water out, then they just fill up with water, and you have these uh, deep diving areas all over. Awesome. And then the video of the week, Mac, you always want to know where old boats go. Here's one where they're beaching uh, a vessel that's being that's going to the scrappers. The Osten Spirit was beached. So if you get a chance, you'll want to take a look at that. That one has the boat way off in the distance, and they run it up. And they sure did. That's an awesome shot just to watch them do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about that? You know, I, I was wondering when I saw the cameraman and all the spectators around, did they know exactly what was going to happen or, or how it's going to go? It sounds like it because it looked like it was obviously staged. Uh, from where that landed, I was looking at the crane that's in front of it. I thought maybe it had a line on it, but it does not. I was I was uh, going through some YouTubes the other day in uh, Russia, and I was watching different techniques they use for launching boats that I have never seen before. I'll have to refine that for you for next week. Yeah, certainly I want to see that. That was cool. I'm glad you had that one. <laughs> I just Man, I, I, I'd I, have been on shore watching that guy come alive. How would you like to be in the boat driving that? That would be that would be nice. Control Cause, crash. Yeah, because you you just got that thing revved all the way up, and then he, he played bumper cars <laughs> between those two boats. He did a pretty decent job. He he, he threaded it there. I'm just I, I'm just looking at that real. Co- I'm looking at it again. That <laughs> that is cool. Uh, but it would have made a good artificial reef, though. Yes, it would have. Holy smoke! Yeah. Yeah, you know, in the engine rooms real quick, going shut off the engines. Yeah, R- Rich from Diver Sink is saying it looks pretty amazing beaching, but it'd be even better sunken. I have to agree with you, Rich. Yeah, you can see the smoke coming out of the stack from that engine there. Yeah, now, awesome. or, or or Rich, you could put that in White Star. <laughs> that would that would no, probably part of it. <laughs> that'd fill it up. Okay, now we'll let's put get... it on land, pull it full of water, and have that for diving. Yeah. Now, now here's some potentially cool scuba gear. I'm not much of a snorkeler myself. You know, I, I have one in my pocket, you know, in case I need it. But I tell you, it's got to be pretty rough for me to need it. But I, I wouldn't mind trying this, this next snorkel out. Yeah, well, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, because that's one thing. Even, even me, I've got to practice the snorkel every time I, I do it because it seems like I, 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 I want to look right and left so much. I keep forgetting which side the snorkel's on. I end up snuffing up water. <laughs> so this looks like that could help. They've got it's got a large, clear mask. It's it uh, it has kind of like a so you've got a like a it looks a little bit like a full face mask we'd have in a diving com system. And then they've got what you would if you like at a hospital if you're getting oxygen you have a little oxygen mask and what that does is that separates the air that you're breathing from the air that's around and it, it helps reduce fogging. And then the snorkel, kind of call it the snorkel part of the tube part, it comes up right up your forehead. So it looks like an interesting idea. What do you think, Mac? Well, for a lot, I was going to say, for a lot of people who can't do the, the mask versus the thing in their mouth, you know, the snorkel, Yeah. this looks pretty cool. It looks like the face of a SCBA, you know, like fireman wear. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's that. Therefore, they don't have anything in their mouth. Their nose is free. And they're not going down far enough that they're going to have compression aspect on their their nose. They're going to, you know, the only thing you can't do is scratch your nose. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. The price didn't look bad for $60. No, I didn't think that was, was all that that's bad. Very good compared to, you know, how much you're going to spend now. But that, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. that's true. The, the and it tough, looks comfortable. Yeah, the tough thing for us is scuba diving is you just, it's not something that you can just kind of attach onto the side and, <laughs> have have for you when you bail out. Could you imagine putting that in your pocket? That'd oh be, no, that'd be off. That'd be a little big. But uh, an interesting idea. I like to see when somebody comes up with some new items like that. Yeah, yeah. and the price wise, you can't beat that price. So you really can't. No. Then here, of course, if you're going to do some snorkeling or scuba diving, you need a boat. Uh, here's a new hybrid boat. A German boat manufacturer's got a a 48 foot hybrid yacht that they're coming out with. Uh, what the hybrid part is, it's they're using a diesel engine uh, to power batteries. I also have uh, a little over a 1K uh, collection of solar panels on it. And what this gives you is you usually have enough battery power to motor up out of the river. And then if you go slow enough, it can run completely off solar 
or it will turn the diesel engine on as it needs power. So they say that it improves the uh, gas efficiency of the vessel by about 50%. That's nice looking. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've always liked that. I, I, I like I like the you know the diesel hybrid type of solution because you got a really efficient diesel engine, and then I, I like electric motors. I'm not a big gas motor person because they fight with me all the time. So uh, and we and they've been doing electric motor launches for well over a hundred years now. So uh, pretty interesting idea. Yes. Uh, so I, I would take one. They don't, of course, they don't give a price. I'm going to guess that this is a hundred grand or more boat. Yeah, it looks pretty pricey. Yeah, amazing. And then, uh, Mac, I know that you're going to want one of these uh, suits. Yeah, that's a gym suit, basically. It's a little more modern and articulated than the ones I've seen back in my day. Yeah, so this is the, what do you call that, the Nyutko? Is that how we would pronounce that? Uh, Exosuit. And if I get the internet, I can pedal a little quicker. Yeah, the the companies, Nyutko's. Yeah, they they said that this one has a depth of 1,000 feet. Of course, if you go and use it to that depth, you're going to spend 10 days in a decompression chamber. Is primarily meant for shipwreck scavengers and pipeline inspectors. Yeah, it's 10 days. You're gonna have, hopefully you got some good videos and games you can play for that. Um, the $600,000 suit has been used to do internal repairs on the New York City water supply pipes, and it's soon to be used to check oil leaks off of Dubai. Wow. Yeah, it's got all those articulating rings. Now, what's in those rings, Mac? Is that, are those like oil filled? Not all of them. A lot of them now. If you've got some real good polar polymers, yeah, they're all, they're like flex, flexible seals. So when you can you can articulate or rotate them, you still keep a seal, even though that is a one atmospheric suit. So you definitely do have a lot of external pressures on yeah. you there. Yeah, Dave. Dave saying it's Nutco. Okay, that sounds too easy, Dave. It doesn't seem like it'd be that easy to say. And they'll bu- they'll custom build for you. I'm hoping for six hundred grand. I get them custom build. Thrusters, uh, 1.6 horsepower thrusters for your feet, manipulators, telemetry through fiber optics. I would still like the tether on the back. Yeah. Well, I think they do. They say two oxygen, two redundant oxygen systems provides 50 hours of air, which is recirculated through carbon scrubbers. So you're, you're saying you want the, the hose? No, I want, the, I want a lifeline hooked into my back. So when I get down there and get stuck, I can always find my way home. Okay. So you, you just want to be able – yeah, so you don't want to be free-flowing – out there. Well, you you don't you know you can always have slack. Yeah. But it's really nice to have a come home line. Yeah. Well, at six hundred thousand dollars, they're not going to leave you down there. <laughs> at a thousand foot deep, I want a good I want a good line. I can find my way home. Definitely. It's be really dark. It'll be really dark down there. Of course, if you don't make it, they might just say crack you out of the suit about halfway up and then bring the suit up. We have to talk to Sylvia on that. I think Sylvia. I can't. I, I can't remember her last name now oh. to save my life. Uh, I know who you're talking about. Right. Um, I think I remember once at Our World Underwater about a bazillion years ago, but uh, I think she's the deepest diving lady that I know of that actually went down on a gym suit like this oh, years so and years ago. Yeah, because she, she used to do a lot with, uh, like, uh, the, the mini-subs. Yes. Stuff. She, I think she spent more time in the mini-sub than anybody else. Oh, nice. Sylvia Earle, that's who we're, that's we're talking that's about. Right. Yes. I keep thinking that, but I saw Earl Grey tea, and I thought, no, that tea would be right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the tea would be good. Even though I wouldn't mind a cup of tea. You throw a little rum or vodka in it, too. That wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. So, yeah, the uh, suit would be nice, especially here in the Great Lakes. That suit, we'd be able to hit hit uh, all of Lake Michigan. There's actually a hole in Lake Michigan, even though, depending on whose survey you want to look at, they say it's like nine nine sixty five. Uh-huh. But I've seen a small little hole that's a little lower than 1,000 feet, so... Yeah, we could pretty much have everything in Lake Michigan, but not yeah. Superior. Now, at 1,000 feet, the, the even though it's going to be pitch black, the visibility should be really good. So you could just stay at 1,000 feet and look down. Actually, there was a, we had a mini-sub out there a couple of years ago doing surveys, and uh, that's how they validated that you actually had Kraken mussels out at 950 feet out there in the bottom of Lake Michigan. So they, they had, we had quaggas at 900-plus feet? 50 feet, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was it was an interesting article. I would take this. This would be cool. That would be nice. Okay. Well, that does it for the news, the videos, and the photos of the week. Boy, the chat room filled up. Thanks for everybody who's come on in here at the end. Uh, we have world-famous Rich Sinewick. We have Dave. We have uh, some new people, some names I don't recognize. We got Deb. We got Mark, Scuba Guy, 
Cape Cod Chris. So thanks, everybody who's coming in. Glad that you're listening. I think they came in to listen to the, uh, oh, the guest that we had today. Yeah, they didn't They didn't come <laughs> for us, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, they looked at the pictures of us and her, and then you figure it out. <laughs> yeah, there's not, not much of a choice there. Uh, now we got coming up, we have Our World Underwater. How many people in the chat room are going to be there at that? And then, Mac, you're planning on going. Yes, I will be there. So will yeah. Mr. Dave, Mr. Larry, Ken. I, I pretty much everybody goes to that. I was scheduled to go, but my son's Boy Scout troop, that seems to be the weekend that has, because we were supposed to go camping last weekend. And even for a polar bear camp out, they decided it was too cold, so it got delayed. And that looks like the the tentative weekend, so... It's not a sure thing, but that might be put a little crimp in my plans. Uh, now, I may be able to go Sunday because we haven't decided if it's just going to be a, a Arctic event day or if it's actually going to be camping. So, Plus, it's Valentine's weekend. Did they, did they plan that intentionally? <laughs> well, that's when you take the significant other to Chicago with you and you make a weekend of it. Yeah, yeah. That, that goes over really well, unless she dives. So... Uh, so what, what? that's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday for Our World Underwater, 13th? That is correct. 14th, 14th and 15th. 14th, 15th, 16th. Yeah, so, and you can go ahead and hit their website. They, they do some good stuff. They've got a, a scholarship program that they're, they fund, and they create a few scholarships every year. Is there anything else we need to promote, Mac? Uh, Ford Seahorses, which is basically the shipwreck festival there. So if you look up Ford Seahorses, you'll find the same item. That'll be the 22nd. Okay, and then somebody asked if anybody from the Mud Club is going to be going down to Bonterra Mine uh, in the near future, and I don't know if any of the Muddies are going to be going down there or not. I, uh, well, I think Richard is planning on going. Yeah, Richard is the one uh, coordinated through Wolfs. That's uh, yep. what they want to do, but I do not know of any Muddies that are going to go. Yeah, so if we find any, we'll let you know. Just keep listening to us on the podcast. And then somebody's saying they might be at the Our World Underwater for Poseidon Clinic. Oh, that'd be cool. I have I have one I need some redo rebuild on. Yeah, I think we know some uh, service people who can work on Poseidons. Yeah, the, uh, Dave, is that something where you need to take one with you, kind of a show and tell? Do you need a, like one to work on? And as always, want to encourage everybody to go over and give us a like on Facebook. We're at uh, facebook.com forward slash goobobsessed. Also follow us on our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. On Twitter, at scubaobsessed. Google Plus is uh, google.com forward slash plus scubaobsessed. Uh, let's see. I'm starting to do a little bit on Pinterest, but I don't know if I need to be encouraging that or not. I'm still <laughs> on the fence on Pinterest. Pinterest is way addicting. I held off for a long time, and then I got sucked in somehow. <laughs> well, I do like, yeah, I'll have to share it. I'll, I'll, I'll post it. In there, it's it's my personal account, so I got to decide: do I want to do a personal account or do I want to do one just for the podcast? But uh, the the trick with that is you have to join groups or follow people who have interesting things. I I'm really get fascinated by the abandoned buildings uh, boards. Ooh, just I haven't they, seen that before. Yeah, it's where they it's where just you know there, there's something kind of a post apocalyptic look where you've got industrial places that have disrepair. Of course, we do live next to Gary, uh, but uh, there's a lot of that. So I guess it depends what you follow. And then, uh, then you get all the, the you get the recipes that people post and uh, a lot of home ideas, things you want to do for decorating into the house. Matt, there's so you... many things out there we could do, but it <laughs> takes one. You can't work, which is good for me, but it takes money. <laughs> yeah. But there's so many things out there to do. I mean, look how much diving we could do if yep. we had that much free time. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of diving... Uh, we didn't talk about any diving, but I don't think either of us got a chance this week. The, the weather was just not conducive to it. Uh, no, uh, it was not. But uh, now I think my chainsaw is no longer long enough. You know, that depth problem you have. Uh, so we need somebody with a bigger tool to be able to cut through the ice. So Well, I think we'll have the opportunity in February. In February? Looking forward to it, yeah. Yeah, a, a nice ice dive is, will be awesome. Some Some of the best diving you can do if you can... If you're properly dressed and trained for it, is to get in under the ice. Visibility is absolutely amazing. So we'll have that coming up, so so keep following. Uh, Chanel, where can people follow you if they'd like to do that? Sure. 
Um, I have a Twitter. It is P-S-Chanel, C-H-A-N-E-L. That's also my Instagram account name, too. And um, like I said, my blog is photosciencechanel.com. And uh, they can check out my Miss Scuba Facebook page at Facebook forward slash Chanel Miss Scuba USA. And I've got lots of fun photos and um, diving stories and all that good stuff on there. That's awesome. So uh, we'll also put that in the show notes so you can head on over to the Scuba Obsessed website and you'll see the, sh- the links to all those websites that she mentioned. Oh, thank you very much. Well, certainly. So anytime you want to come on, come back on the show, let us know. We appreciate you coming on. Yeah, and, I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. When you get down here in Puerto Rico, you'll have to tell us how things are going and what you're doing different. Oh, definitely. I'll take some photos and videos and send it to you guys. I already just got asked to be on somebody else's podcast while I've been doing this. So that's a good start, too. Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, And uh, now, should we ask you now what, what, uh, I don't know, do you you know what time (laughs) of the show is coming up? Do I know what? What (laughs) What time of the show that we've got coming up, what the next segment is? I, I do not know. This is where we That's do the. That's probably good. Yeah, it's probably good, uh, and maybe you know anybody who knows it's a, the bad memory and they suppress it. But this is where we do the bad scuba joke of the week. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so Mac, you ready? Uh, I'm ever ready. I'm, I'm holding down my chair. <laughs> so here we go. An inventive scuba diver builds a lie detecting robot that slaps people when they lie. He decides to test it out on dinner one night. He asks his son, what did he do in the afternoon? The son says, I did some schoolwork. The robot slaps the son. The son says, okay, okay. I was at a friend's house watching movies. Dad asks, what movie did you watch? The son says, oh, I watched Toy Story. The robot slaps him. The son goes, okay, okay. We were watching porn. Dad says, what? At your age? I didn't even know what porn was. The robot slaps the father. Mom laughs and says, well, he's certainly your son. The robot slaps the mother. Oh, that was, that, was, that was kind of funny. <laughs> All we do is promise that it's bad. <laughs> ah, and we're successful it. again. And may not even be appropriate. So, so on that note, until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe, guys and gals. All recording has been completed. Hooray! Yay!